is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Two major issues we're going to discuss today. One, are the police state tactics that are underway against the President of the United States and his people? And number two, Syria. And in that order, but first let me say about Syria, this nonsense that we don't know if the Syrians and the Russians were behind the gassing of these people is really quite remarkable. To watch people on TV say these sorts of things, it's just quite remarkable. Our intelligence services, our military, the Arab intelligence services in the area and the Israelis, they know exactly what took place. Well, why would Syria do this when we announced that we're leaving, you see? And they've already almost beaten ISIS because this is a town they hadn't beaten and they wanted to take it out. And they've been using this stuff a lot, sometimes without us reacting. But dictators do stupid things. That's why they're dictators. So I don't know why people are, are questioning this. There's nothing really to question. And uh, why do we get involved in situations like this? I don't know. Let me ask you. Is there a reason we didn't get involved in bombing trains that were taking people to ovens before World War II? Is there a reason that we didn't get involved in, in parts of Africa and Rwanda? When 800,000 people were slaughtered with machetes during the Clinton administration? You can't get involved in all those cases, but there are things you can do, short of all-out war, to take a stand for humanity. That's not a foreign policy. That is a decision that has to be made by a president on a case-by-case situation. But if it is, in fact, the doctrine of the United States government that we will never get involved in any matters where there are horrific humanitarian genocidal outcomes, then that is un-American. That's not what this country stands for. It's not what this country's ever stood for. So be careful about getting caught up in the code pink Republican, radical libertarian, radical left ideology, which will walk you down that trail. We've been at war long enough, people say. Any war is always long enough. Some of them are necessary, some of them less so. But the truth is, when you consider the amount of military battles that we've been in, we've been at quote-unquote more more often than we haven't been at war. And by the way, not because of us. Because humankind is a funny thing. Most of the men we remember through the ages were mass murderers. Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great, Caesar, Marcus Aurelius, 
and on and on down the list. Ramesses the second. Do you remember the peaceniks back then? Of course you don't. And of course, in the modern era, Stalin, Hitler, Mao, Pol Pot. You remember them. Tell me, who runs Cambodia today? You don't have any idea, neither do I. Anyway, I want to get into this a minute. I want to get into Robert Mueller. The media are spectacularly partisan and incompetent. And all they keep doing is yelling to the president if he's going to fire Robert Mueller. And if he were to fire Robert Mueller, they'd be calling for his impeachment immediately. We've now reached a point in this country where a president of the United States can't fire a rogue prosecutor who's trying to fire him. It's a remarkable thing. I want to tell you a little bit about Robert Mueller because they're painting him as some kind of saint, some kind of angel. He's none of those things. He's a vicious bastard. That's what he is. Many years ago, there was a piece by columnist Kevin Cullen in the Boston Globe, hardly a right-wing platform. And the title is One Lingering Question for FBI Director Robert Mueller. Back in 1976, as we were celebrating the 200th birthday of this republic, Congress passed a law limiting the tenure of the FBI Director to 10 years. This was done because after the scandalous findings of the Church Commission, Congress realized that letting J. Edgar Hoover serve as director of the Bureau from its founding in 1935 until his death in 1972 had only confirmed Lord Acton's maxim that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Got that? And a special counsel who's unaccountable to anybody, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Hoover was a power unto himself, and the FBI that was created very much in his image sometimes acted more like the secret police of the totalitarian regimes Hoover regularly denounced. Running road wiretaps, harassing political dissidents, using illegal means to collect evidence, Hoover's FBI wasn't accountable. It was untouchable. And I want to say this, again, I'm not talking about the men and women out there chasing criminals, protecting this country, but the same thing has happened at the top level of the FBI. Unaccountable, untouchable, collecting evidence through illegal means, espionage and so forth, false information or the omission of information when it comes to the FISA court, the use of opposition research paid for by another campaign and another political party. The list goes on and on and on. The top levels of the FBI are as corrupt as they were under J. Edgar Hoover and quite frankly more so. Because this gaggle of corrupt FBI senior officials interfered with the presidential election. And so the columnist goes on about Mueller. So now, just weeks after the FBI's worst nightmare, a gangster and FBI informant by the name of Whitey Bulger came strolling back into town. Congress is about to ignore its own wisdom and let Bob Mueller the FBI director and former U.S. attorney in Boston, stay on an extra two years. 
President Obama says he needs Mueller to stay because there's been so much turnover in the national security teams at the CIA and Pentagon, and all that's well and good. Mueller is wide, bipartisan support in Congress, to paraphrase Lloyd Benson, the former and now late senator, Democrat from Texas. I know Bob Mueller, and he's no J. Edgar Hoover. Though the folks at the ACLU might take exception to that. The recent FBI targeting of anti-war and labor activists in the Midwest has a disturbing echo of the days when the Bureau considered Martin Luther King Jr. a sinister threat to national security. But Mueller's a Marine vet and tough enough to take a question or two before Congress gives the president what he wants. And Mike Albano, Mike Albano, A-L-B-A-N-O, is just the guy to ask it. Excuse me. He's just the guy to ask it. What did you know about Whitey Bulger, Mr. Mueller, and when did you know it? Now, Bulger was a mobster in Boston. He killed dozens of people, ladies and gentlemen. He was a vicious, vicious killer. Turns out he was an FBI informant. And he was still killing people while he was an FBI informant. Back in the 1980s, when he was serving on the Massachusetts Parole Board, Albano expressed some sympathy for a group of men who had always maintained they had been framed for the 1965 gangland murder of a hoodlum named Teddy Deegan in Chelsea. The FBI had been instrumental in seeing that the men, Peter Lamone, Henry Tamalio, Joe Salvanti, and Louis Greco, were convicted. The FBI contended that Tamalo was the consigliere of the mafia in Boston, and Lamone was a mafia leader. There's no question that both men were bad actors and mafia players, but the evidence showed that neither had anything to do with Deegan's murder. So 1983, after Albano, remember Albano's on this pardon parole commission. In 1983, after Albano indicated he might vote to release Lamone, he got a visit from a pair of FBI agents named John Connolly and John Morris. They told Albano that the men convicted of Deegan's murder were bad guys. They were made guys. Albano said they told me that if I wanted to stay in public life, I shouldn't vote to release a guy like Lamone. They intimidated me. Turns out that Connolly, Agent Connolly, FBI Agent Connolly, was Whitey Bulger's corrupt handler. And Agent Morris was Connolly's corrupt supervisor. See, they were on the take. When they weren't pocketing bribes from Bulger, they were helping him murder potential witnesses who were poised to expose the FBI's sordid, Faustian deal with a rat named Whitey Bulger. Albano was messing with the FBI's national policy of going after the mafia and the mafia alone. That was the justification the FBI gave for making deals with devils like Whitey Bulger and his partner in crime, Stevie Fleming. They were supposedly giving up their pals in the mafia. The problem with the FBI's national policy is that it didn't take into account the most vicious, murderous gangsters in Boston were Whitey Bulger and Stevie Fleming. After Albano was elected mayor of Springfield in 1995, he soon found the FBI hot on his tail, investigating his administration for corruption. 
The FBI took down several people in his administration, and Albano is convinced the FBI wasn't interested in public integrity as much as humiliating him because he dared to defy them. In 2001, the four men convicted of Teddy Deegan's murder were exonerated. Turned out the FBI let them take the rap to protect one of their informants, a killer named Vincent Jimmy Flemmy, who just happened to be the brother of their other rat, Stevie Flemmy. So here these men sat in jail for years. Thanks to the FBI's corruption, taxpayers got stuck with the $100 million bill for compensating the framed men, two of whom, Greco and Tamalia, died in prison. So the FBI knew these men were not the killers for which they'd been convicted. They were set up. Albano was appalled that later that same year, Mueller was appointed FBI director because it was Mueller. First as an assistant U.S. attorney, then as the acting U.S. attorney in Boston, who wrote letters to the parole and pardons board throughout the 1980s opposing clemency for the four men framed by FBI lies. Got that? Of course, Mueller was also in that position while Whitey Bulger was helping the FBI cart off criminal competitors even as he buried bodies in shallow graves along the way. Before he gets that extension, Mike Albano said, somebody in the senator house needs to ask him why the U.S. Attorney's Office he led let the FBI protect Whitey Bulger. The columnist said... I called FBI headquarters in Washington, and I tried to do just that. The nice lady who answered suggested I talk to one of the FBI's public affairs specialists, but my call wasn't returned. Four years ago, when questioned about the FBI's corruption in Boston, Mueller told The Globe, I think the public should recognize that what happened happened years ago. That's true, and we still don't know what really happened, he writes. Mr. Mueller... But there's more about Mr. Mueller you need to know. There's more about Mr. Mueller you need to know. As senators of both parties run to his defense, as Chuck Schumer again puts out the, the argument they need to pass a statute to protect him, even though that would be unconstitutional, it's all political games and political positioning. But I want you to know the man behind, behind these warrants what this man is doing to the lives of all kinds of people who've been gathered up and devoured by his investigation, and that he truly has no conscience. He truly has no conscience. Stick with me. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. probably have to carry this over after the bottom of the hour. That's this infamous anthrax case in Washington, D.C. And I like the way Daniel Ashman over at the Federalist wrote about this about a month ago. He said, mystery surrounds Robert Mueller and his investigation into Russia and President Trump. Some think he's the ultimate professional. Others think he's a Democrat lackey. Still others maintain he's working on Trump's side. We can see how he works if we look at how Mueller ran his second most important investigation as FBI director. In September 2001, 
An entity began mailing anthrax through the U.S. postal system, hitting such prominent targets as NBC and Senator Daschle's office. The terrorist attacks killed five and left others hospitalized, and the world panicked. Under Mueller's management, the FBI launched an investigation lasting 10 years. They now brag about spending hundreds of thousands of investigator hours on the case. Let's take a closer look at Mueller's response to understand the context in the investigation and who his people investigated, targeted, and found guilty. The anthrax letters began just a week after the 9-11 attack. While planning the airline hijackings, al-Qaeda had been weaponizing anthrax, setting up a lab in Afghanistan named Bayazid Sufat, the same man who housed two of the 9-11 hijackers. Two hijackers later sought medical help due to conditions consistent with infection via anthrax. Al-Haznawi went to the emergency room for a skin lesion, which he claimed was from bumping into a suitcase. And ringleader Mohammed Atta needed medical medicine for skin irritation. A team of bioterrorism experts from John Hopkins confirmed that anthrax was the most likely cause of the lesions. Meanwhile, the 9-11 hijackers were also trying to obtain crop-dusting airplanes. So how did Mueller's investigative team handle the case? Well, when we return, I'll tell you. We'll be right back. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the Nutrition Facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now, you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. More logic than allowed by law. The Mark Levin Show. Call now at 877-381-3811. You'll learn more here than anywhere, quite frankly, because we dig a little bit more deeply. So Mueller in the anthrax case. Mueller issued a statement in October 2001 while anthrax victims were all still dying. The FBI had found no direct link to organized terrorism, it said. The Johns Hopkins team of experts was mistaken. The FBI continued, Al Hasnawi never had an anthrax infection. The crop dusting airplanes they needed was possibly for a separate and unrelated anthrax attack. A few weeks later, the FBI released a remarkable profile of the attacker. FBI experts eschewed analysis of the content of the letters was written in bold block letters, death to America, death to Israel, Allah is great. Instead, they focused on a linguistic analysis, stating that the letter's writer was atypical in many respects and not comfortable or practiced in writing in lowercase lettering. The FBI therefore concluded that it was likely a disgruntled American 
was responsible with bad personal skills. The investigators hypothesized that the attacker was a lonely American who had wanted to kill people with anthrax for some undefined time period, but then became mission-oriented following 9-11 and immediately prepared and mailed the deadly spores while pretending to be a Muslim. Mueller's FBI honed in on Stephen Hatfield as the culprit. Stephen Hatfield, a flag-waving American who'd served in the Army, then dedicated himself to protecting America from bioterrorist threats by working in the United States Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases. There was no direct link from Hatfield to the attacks by the FBI's own admission, and the Bureau never charged Hatfield. The FBI did, however, spy on him, follow him, and harass him nonstop for years. The Department of Justice also publicly outed Hatfield as the possible terrorist. While Hatfield's dignity and life was being trampled on by America's secret police, Mueller took a stand, but on a different topic. He made front-page news for threatening President Bush. He would resign over NSA policy, all while his own team was trampling on the rights of an American in the FBI's largest ever investigation. Hatfield successfully sued the government for its unlawful actions. He won almost $6 million. After the Hatfield investigation blew up in the FBI's face, they moved on to Bruce Ivins, another Army researcher who had actually volunteered to help the FBI investigate the case and had been doing so for years. It wasn't until five years after the attack that Mueller's men decided Ivins was a target. Now, the FBI case against Ivins once again was based on circumstantial evidence. The prosecution stated Ivins purposefully gave a misleading sample of anthrax spore, but Frontline on PBS documented this was not true. Ivins was familiar with the area from which the anthrax letters were mailed, the FBI said, but Pulitzer Prize-winning ProPublica lays out the accepted facts of the case showing it was impossible for Ivans to make the trip to mail the letters. The spores used in the attacks were a similar type to the laboratory spores where Ivans worked, but that ignored the fact that the anthrax letters had a unique additive. So sophisticated and dangerous, a scientist commented, this is not your mother's anthrax, that was likely produced by a nation-state or al-Qaeda. Ivins was never indicted, just given the same treatment as Hatfield. His house was raided, he was threatened with a death sentence, or as his lawyer put it, put under relentless pressure of accusation and innuendo. Ivins committed suicide. Ivins committed suicide. One week later, U.S. Attorney Jeffrey Taylor stated Ivins was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, and they were confident that Dr. Ivins was the only person responsible for these attacks. Democrat Senator Patrick Leahy, one of the intended victims of the anthrax terror attacks, did not believe that Ivins was the sole actor. Mueller ordered an independent audit of the FBI's case by the National Academy of Sciences, then formally closed the case in 2010, sticking with the conclusion that Ivins, and Ivins alone, committed the terror attack. One year later, the NAS, the National Academy of Sciences, released the results and confirmed what many scientists had been repeating for years. 
The FBI's science and conclusions were not solid. A former FBI official involved in the investigation sued the FBI, alleging the FBI concealed evidence exculpatory to Ivans. Mueller made his position known, saying, I do not apologize for any aspect of this investigation, and stated that the FBI made no mistakes. The investigation was an unmitigated disaster for America. Mueller didn't go after al-Qaeda for the anthrax letters because he couldn't find a direct link. But then he targeted American citizens without showing a direct link. For his deeds, he had the second longest tenure as FBI director and was roundly applauded by nearly everyone. Except Louis Gohmert, by the way. Now he's running the Trump-Russia investigation. And there's a lot more about Mueller. But let's talk about his number two. Andrew Weissman, who Mueller chose to be his number two. This is a piece I found, Seeking Justice is the site, from 2013. Serious ethical charges against FBI Deputy Director Andrew Weissman. You see, he worked under Mueller at the FBI are pending before the first Judicial Department Disciplinary Committee in New York. Charges arise from his role in hiding evidence favorable to the defense when he was a federal prosecutor leading the Enron Task Force. The Department of Justice is handling his defense. According to the DOJ, there was no violation of the rules of ethics, even if Weissman plainly suppressed evidence favorable to the defense. As the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals held that Enron Task Force did. Mr. Weissman, who also serves as general counsel to the FBI, has pitched his entire ethics defense on the claim that the rules of professional conduct require prosecutors to disclose to defense only information that is both favorable and material. And what he was arguing is it wasn't material. Now, that may be the standard for reversing a criminal conviction under the Supreme Court's 1963 decision in Brady v. Maryland, but the ethical rules require more. Any notion that the rules of professional conduct merely codify or mirror Brady and do not press beyond it would be a major news flash to anyone moderately familiar with legal ethics. The text of the rule explicitly requires prosecutors, quote, to make timely disclosure to the defense of all evidence or information known to the prosecutor that tends to negate the guilt of the accused. What part of all is confusing to the Department of Justice? It was no accident that the Brady requirement of materiality was omitted from the uh, professional responsibility rule. Anyway, this obvious understanding of the key difference between Brady and the rule, I'm not trying to get in the weeds to confuse people, I'm just trying to know what Weissman does. Andrew Weissman and his supporters at the time, current Chief White House Counsel Catherine Rumler, did not make the required disclosures. To Enron. There's no doubt that the information they withheld was known to them. The Enron Task Force prosecuting uh, Merrill Lynch executives in the Nigerian Barges case had actually yellow highlighted statements of key witnesses they knew were favorable to the defense and then hid the yellow highlighted evidence from the defendants. New prosecutors disclosed it accidentally six, year late, six years later. So we're really talking about Merrill Lynch which was indicted in this case, and it was an outrageous indictment against Merrill Lynch, 
where they tried to tie them into Enron. And they highlighted the statements of key witnesses they knew were favorable to the defense, and then they hid the highlights. That was long after four executives from Merrill Lynch, who had committed no crime, spent a year in prison, while Weissman and his team continued to conceal the evidence. Weissman resigned from the Enron Task Force amid allegations of prosecutorial misconduct during the broadband part of the Enron saga. He was also the driving force behind the destruction of Arthur Anderson, the accounting firm, obliterating 85,000 jobs, only to have a unanimous Supreme Court reverse the decision because Weissman had proposed jury instructions adopted by Judge Melinda Harmon that had written criminal intent out of the law. And again, it was adopted by the judge because these judges aren't perfect either. Unanimously, the Supreme Court reversed. But you see, it was too late, ladies and gentlemen. Arthur Anderson was now dead and 85,000 people lost their jobs. That was a 9-0 decision by the Supreme Court. After a partnership with the mega firm Jenner and Block, Andrew Weissman was elevated to his current positions at the FBI by President Obama. An unusual and troubling choice in light of Weissman's history of disregard of the special responsibilities of the federal prosecutor. This was written in 2013. During his years on the Enron Task Force, Prosecutor Weissman was widely known for intimidating witnesses, hiding evidence, and unethical and heavy-handed, if not illegal, tactics. As long as he held the power to indict, however, few dared speak out. He repeatedly threatened to indict people who contradicted his view on the Enron cases. That's the number two guy. That's the number two guy in the special counsel's office. These are very, very bad people. Very unethical people who've built their careers on unethical activity. Destroying jobs, destroying lives. With no conscience whatsoever. They have a mindset that is enormously dangerous. And now they're targeting the President of the United States. These two guys. Mueller and Weissman. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Three former federal prosecutors today. And they all had somewhat of a different take on what's going on here. Except when it comes to New York, the one thread is that there was significant overreach here. Even though you have all kinds of sign-offs at Maine Justice, when you're going to search a lawyer's office and going to pierce the attorney-client privilege veil, they all thought this was overkill. They all said, surely they just can't be looking at the campaign finance stuff to do this. So I've been thinking, what would I do if I were the president's lawyer? I don't mean one of these guys that just goes on TV and what if I, what would I recommend that, that he do? Well, I'd recommend that he send his lawyer into federal court in Manhattan, whichever judge this was done under the magistrate for which, uh, under which the judge works. And I would move to have everything held in place. 
I would seek a protective order on all the information and documents. I would want to know what the warrant says. And I'd want to know who the targets are. And the reason, ladies and gentlemen, is, and nobody's saying this, it's attorney-client privilege. The privilege applies to the client, not to the attorney. When you hire an attorney, it's attorney-client privilege. The, priv- the privilege applies to you, the client. Not to the attorney. The attorney has a responsibility to honor the attorney-client privilege, but the privilege applies to you. So you don't go to a lawyer, typically, if you don't need a lawyer. You don't go to a lawyer, typically, unless you have a problem you need resolved, unless you need something interpreted. Maybe you're having a divorce. Maybe you're having a contract dispute. Maybe you have to go to a lawyer over a criminal matter and so forth. This is basic stuff in our country, that you have a right to representation, And you have a right to be protected from the government. You have the right to have your day in court. Okay, attorney-client privilege. The privilege applies, in this case, to Mr. Cohen's clients. One of his clients is the President of the United States. So one of his lawyers needs to get off his ass and get into that courtroom up in New York, in my opinion, and say, wait a minute, Your Honor, we don't know what's going on here. And that privilege belongs to us. We've communicated with our lawyer, the President has, Maybe he's emailed him, maybe he's texted him, maybe there's hard documents, he's given advice. We need to know what's going on here. Not by reading the New York Times, or the Business Insider, or watching CNN. We need to know what was filed and what may or may not affect our client. On the attorney-client privilege side. Am I making sense, Mr. Producer? So that's the first thing I'd want to know. Then we have a constitutional crisis, ladies and gentlemen. We have an attorney general who has apparently recused himself from the entire investigation, not just the parts that deal with his own recusal that's actually written involving Russia, the campaign, intervention by the Russians, and collusion with the Russians. Apparently, the attorney general has decided that anything related to Robert Mueller, he's not getting involved in. And the deputy attorney general has decided that anything that Robert Mueller asks for, he gets. So you have this coward as the deputy attorney general who should not appoint a special counsel in the first place for the reason I have said and scores of others have said from day one. There's no underlying crime. You don't appoint a special counsel on a political basis because you're a coward. There are many, many prosecutors in the United States Department of Justice in the 93 U.S. Attorney's Office and in Maine Justice. You don't need a special counsel. But that's what he did. And now the Attorney General of the United States acts like he can't get involved in anything. That's false. Absolutely false. I've got more to say about this next hour, but let me, let me tell you about something that I think is also very important. FEMA estimates that most Americans have no plan for an emergency. And with FEMA admitting recently they cannot help everyone who's unprepared, you need to take matters into your own hands. If you have a family, especially so. Now, the best time to do so is before a hurricane, before wildfire season starts, especially before something like an earthquake or a power grid attack hits without warning. Act and prepare by securing food storage today. My Patriot Supply has the perfect food kit to get you started. 
just as they've helped millions for over a decade now. And I use them, too. I have these storage um, food uh, just in case. You never know. I watch these things on TV. You see them, too, every hurricane season and so forth. So they have the perfect kit. This week, get their four-week emergency food supply for only $99, a one-month supply, only $99. That's a low price for security, and it's shipped free and discreetly to your door. So take action now. Call 800-294-2325 or use this special website, preparewithmark.com. Now, this food lasts 25 years in storage. So you really don't even have to think about it again. But it's your responsibility to make sure every member of your family has one. Only 99 bucks for an entire month. 800-294-2325 or preparewithmark.com. 800-294-2325 or preparewithmark.com. What was done in New York was so extraordinary. And so out of line, sitting there, getting a warrant on the president's private lawyer, just incredible to me. And we'll dig into this a little bit more when I return. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello everybody, Mark Levin here, our number 877 I have another story to tell you, but I'll, I'll hold off for just a moment. During the break, I'm watching Senator Chuck Grassley, chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, speak. They're the ones that have been overseeing this uh, Zuckerberg Facebook uh, testimony. And I actually heard Grassley say something that is amazing to me. He said during the course of the hearing, it's been going on for hours now. Facebook doesn't know how much information they've collected. 
We don't really know where it's stored. The extent to which it's shared with third parties. And how do you protect privacy this way? And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, how much information is collected? Does anybody know how much information the federal government collects? Does anybody know what departments and agencies in the federal government collect all the information? We know a few. Do we know what information the federal government collects on us or share with third parties? I mean, I'm listening to this, and I was watching some of the questioning today by these senators. They can't wait to get their hands on this platform. They just can't wait to do this. Lindsey Graham can't wait to regulate it. Now, what has Lindsey Graham ever done? What the hell has this guy ever achieved? What has he ever created? Okay, I know I'm in the distinct minority here. I know I'm in the distinct minority. And I know some people and organizations I know have been mistreated by Facebook. But I do not, listen, I do not want government interference with Facebook any more than I want government interference with Amazon. I don't want it. A government that's out of control, look at these prosecutors, a government that's out of control, a government that can yank private citizens in front of committees, in front of grand juries, they will not leave anything alone. Ladies and gentlemen, the world doesn't stop today. Facebook will be perhaps gone in 10 years. Technology is moving that fast. I don't know. Nobody thought Walmart would ever have problems. Now they have to compete against Amazon. This is the way it works. This is the way it works. And I don't want to take any calls on this. I'm just so sick and tired of it. The mentality that 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 has grown out of government has seeped its way into all aspects of the private sector. It's expected that these politicians who we despise, who we think are stupid, and in most cases are, should now be passing laws to regulate Facebook. How the hell are you going to regulate Facebook? They want to regulate guns. They want to regulate Facebook. They want to regulate Amazon. They can't even control what the hell they do. Waste 125 to $250 billion a year. $21 trillion fiscal operating debt. Over $200 trillion unfunded liabilities. These entitlement programs are out of control. They won't secure the border. I mean, I can go on and on and on. But they got all their priorities lined up properly, don't they? We're going to get Facebook. And I know a lot of conservatives are cheering. It is very frustrating to me. Very frustrating to me. But I want to get back to what I started the first hour. Now, you'll hear people go on TV and radio and tell you, look, the Justice Department is to be respected. I worked at the Justice Department. It could be respected in some respects and disrespected in some respects. Depends how it conducts itself. But it's another human creation. It's another human institution, meaning it's imperfect. And prosecutors are not judges. 
although some of them think they are and think they should be. Mr. Mueller and Mr. Weissman and their operation leak and leak and leak. Nobody has seen the warrant. You haven't. I haven't. And yet aspects of it have been leaked to the New York Times and to other liberal media outlets. The New York Times being, for example, James Comey's favorite uh, leak outlet. But yes, like every other walk of life, there are good people and bad people who are dressed up as prosecutors. And Mr. Mueller is a bad one. Mr. Weissman's a bad one. They shouldn't, shouldn't be anywhere near a federal position. And just because people are powerful doesn't mean they're, they're immune from this. You remember Senator Ted Stevens of Alaska? He was considered one of the most powerful senators, one of the longest-serving senators. He was chairman of the Appropriations Committee. Nobody crossed the guy. Well, they decided to take him out. The Justice Department decided to take him out. And I want to tell you the story about him. This is all in the context of what's been taking place with Trump. Carrie Johnson at NPR back in 2012, eight years ago, March 15, 2012, an extraordinary special investigation by a federal judge has concluded that two Justice Department prosecutors intentionally hid evidence in the case against Senator Ted Stevens, one of the biggest political corruption cases in recent history. A blistering report found that the government team concealed documents that would have helped the late Stevens, a longtime Republican senator from Alaska, defend himself against false statements and charges in 2008. And by the way, as a result of that prosecution, in the course of that prosecution, he lost his Senate seat as the scandal played out. And two years later, he would die in a tragic plane crash. The 500-page report by investigator Henry F. Schulke III shook the legal community as law professors described it as a milestone in the history of prosecutorial misconduct. Investigators weren't talking Thursday, but Brendan Sullivan, who defended the senator, had plenty to say. Remember that name from the Iran-Contra testimony, and he was Ali North's lawyer. Sullivan said the extent of the corruption is shocking. It's the worst misconduct we've seen in a generation by prosecutors at the Department of Justice. The report is based on a review of 128,000 documents and interviews with prosecutors and FBI agents on the hot seat. And this is why some of us want an investigation of what took place with the FBI, Comey, McCabe, and the Justice Department during the lead-up to the election and during the election. It details critical failings by the government as it raced to get ready for the 2008 trial. Disheveled files, key meetings of which FBI agents never took notes, insufficient management by supervisors at the Department of Justice Criminal Division, and pained egos that led resentful members of the prosecution team to stop talking to each other in the weeks before the case went to a Washington, D.C. jury. For instance, the report says that the justice team argued to the jury that Stevens, who served the state of Alaska for 40 years, accepted pricey renovations to his Alaska chalet from oil services company executive Bill Allen. Prosecutors argued the senator didn't disclose the full value of the gift on his congressional disclosure forms. There was a problem with that, though, defense attorney Sullivan says. 
Senator Stevens had a handwritten note to Bill Allen requesting that Bill Allen send him a bill. It was the heart of the defense because the note said, send me a bill. We have to do this ethically, quote unquote. But prosecutors reasoned the senator was simply trying to cover his tracks. And they failed to turn over statements from a renovation foreman, Rocky Williams, who might well have supported the senator's account. They went on to present estimates about the cost of renovations that were wildly overblown, the report said. The government team also left the jury with a mistaken impression that Allen had been telling authorities all along that Stevens had cooked up a cover story about wanting to pay all the bills. But in fact, the report says, Allen didn't mention that in 55 previous interviews with prosecutors in the FBI, only coming up with the account that helped the Justice Department on the eve of the trial. Finally, the report says prosecutors should have shared information that might have obliterated Allen's credibility. An explosive allegation that Allen had a sexual relationship with a 15-year-old girl and then asked her to lie about it under oath. It's incredible that in such an incredibly high-profile case where a sitting United States senator is being prosecuted under the spotlight of the world with cameras watching and a top-notch defense team, that these kinds of egregious Brady violations, that's a Supreme Court case in the 60s, Brady versus Maryland, it's a landmark Supreme Court case, where the prosecution has to provide, share all the evidence with the defense. That Brady violations could occur, says American University law professor Cynthia Jones. Everyone seems to agree that The Stevens prosecution was infected with errors. The report blames higher-ups in the criminal division of the Bush Justice Department, Matt Frederick, Rita Glavin, for failing to supervise the case. Frederick didn't respond to requests for comment by email. Glavin said she didn't have access to the reports or filings and so forth. But lawyers for the lower-level Alaska prosecutors singled out John Bottini and James Goak said investigators had been unfair. The people who should be investigated and held responsible for the mistakes made in this case were the then upper management of the Department of Justice who, for political reasons, rushed this case to trial before the prosecution was prepared to try it. And it goes on. The judge in this case, Judge Sullivan, been around a long time, he ordered this investigation. And some of the prosecutors were removed for good Another one was reassigned, and another one committed suicide. A fairly young man. Now, why am I telling you this? You see what's been revealed at the highest levels of the FBI. Unbelievable, unparalleled corruption. Comey's gone. McCabe's gone. Both leakers. Others are gone. Just incredible. Corrupt as can be. And it does happen. And it is happening. And it did happen. Mr. Mueller. Mr. Mueller's a sleazeball. And yet there he is, the special counsel with bipartisan support. Why bipartisan support? Because Mr. Mueller's been in Washington a very, very long time. Mr. Mueller and his wife have been on the social circuit a very, very long time with senators, with members of Congress, with members of the media. 
Mr. Weissman, who shouldn't be anywhere close to a position of public trust. Mr. Mueller specifically chooses him. And Mr. Rosenstein, who's the Deputy Attorney General of the United States, who was a coward. And I've said this over and over again. There was no reason for him to appoint a special counsel other than the fact he didn't want to be in charge of the case. He didn't want to have to testify before Congress, so he punted. And for we, the American people, this has been enormously destructive of our constitutional system, of our legal-slash-justice system, And we've got all kinds of things going on in the world, all kinds of things going on in our country that the president needs to focus on. And these people are making it very, very difficult for him to do it. And the Democrats, they're behind the whole thing. The media, they're behind the whole thing. First, they covered up what the FBI did. They trashed anyone who was putting the pieces together like me. Then they will field any leak from anybody and worry about corrections later. They know what they're doing. They know they're partisan. They know they're protecting the people who are leaking, but they don't care. They're desperate to push this president out of office because he has called them out. He has exposed them. If this kind of thing becomes commonplace, ladies and gentlemen, I dare to say any of us can get caught up in it. We're little fish. We're meaningless to prosecutors. We're meaningless to the FBI. We're little fish. I mean, they're, they're going into somebody's home early in the morning when he and his wife are in bed, guns drawn. Manafort? Why is Manafort a threat? They're piling up, piling up massive numbers of charges against him, just like Mueller did before, just like Weissman did before. Dirty tricks to try and destroy these men or this man. Trying to get him to buckle. That's the M.O. I read it to you earlier. You and I both know if Manafort hadn't been campaign chairman of Trump, none of this would be going on. They trick Lieutenant General Flynn. They trick him. And then charge him, and he pleads because he's going bankrupt, because he's losing his home. That's what they do to a patriotic former general. Now Trump's lawyer, his house is cleaned out, his office is cleaned out, the hotel where they're staying because the house is being remodeled is cleaned out, because the feds are desperate to know how much money went to a playboy playmate, and how much money went to a a porn star, what the money was used for, and on and on and on. And of course, because it's the crime of the century, quote-unquote, they get all the attorney-client privilege information. I said to a former federal prosecutor friend of mine, I don't think he buys it, but that's up to him, I do. This is also a backdoor way for them to get access to information. But, Mark, they have a Chinese wall. The FBI can only look at certain information, and they have to have a special unit to do it. I know that. I also know that's what Lawrence Walsh claimed to do, but he didn't do it. And that's why the case against Ollie North was overturned on appeal. It's called the Castigar case. You can Google it yourself. 
Just because they claim to do things or can do things doesn't mean they do them. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. system breaks down and the legal system breaks down and the rule of man takes over, you have these situations. And people are saying, what can we do? What can we do? Well, if the constitutional system is, is broken and the legal system is, is out of kilter, in fact, it's being used in abusive fashion, that's the question, isn't it? What can we do? And I don't have the answer. But if I were Trump's lawyer, I'll just reiterate. I'd send his best guy or gal into court in Manhattan, ask for a protective order of all documents with his name on it. Uh, one, I'd want to know the uh, underlying, uh, excuse me, I, wanted, I would like to know the uh, warrant. I'd like to see it. I'd like to know the basis for it. Uh, and remember, attorney-client privilege, the privilege applies to the client, not to the attorney. It's the attorney's job to, to uphold it. Uh, and I don't even understand why they uh, felt the need to go into his office and his home and his hotel room this way. I have no idea why they did this. You subpoena the records and deal with it. I'll be right back. Right versus left is... Right versus wrong. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. Optima Tax Relief. It's tax season. And for Russ and his wife, tax season brings even more anxiety over their unpaid taxes. What the IRS could do to them. I want you to think about your own situation. Are you going to be able to pay your taxes? You're going to be short? Do you need help? Well, Rice, Russ, uh, twice his wife, uh, his wife uh, suggested they get expert advice, and twice Russ refused. For one, they owed thousands to the IRS, and they couldn't pay. And Russ was afraid that even asking advice could trigger an IRS action. Now, if you can relate to Russ, if you don't think you can pay your taxes, and you're going to try and duck... You really need to call Optima Tax Relief, and you're running out of time. What is today, Mr. Producer? April 10th, something like that? Yes. You're running out of time. Optima knows that behind every tax problem are good people, people with families, homes, savings, paychecks that need protection, which is how they've resolved over half a billion dollars in tax debt for their clients. They're A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. And rest assured, when you call Optima to explore all the ways they can help solve your IRS problems, your call is confidential, and it is shielded completely. Call Optima Tax Relief at 800-499-6300. 800-499-6300. That's 800-499-6300. Now... I want to get into this a little bit more. Don't worry, we're going we're gonna to move around here. But The Daily Caller has a good piece, as does Conservative Review, as does the Daily Wire. But let me go here to Chuck Ross at the Daily Caller. The other piece of this that broke yesterday 
involves a Ukrainian oligarch. By the way, do we have oligarchs in this country? Yes, I think we do. Tom Steyer is an oligarch, but we don't call liberal billionaires in this country oligarchs, do we? No. So the special counsel's office is investigating a $150,000 donation a Ukrainian businessman made to President Trump's charity in 2015. Does that sound like Russian collusion to you? No, sounds like nothing. But let's go on. So the donation from steel magnate Viktor Pinchuk, Ukrainian, pales in comparison to contributions he gave to the charity Bill and Hillary Clinton set up. The billionaire has contributed $13 million to the Clinton Foundation since 2006. They had access, he did, to Hillary Clinton while she served as Secretary of State. But Special Counsel Robert Mueller is not investigating the Clintons. Instead, he's conducting a broad investigation of Donald Trump, including the flow of foreign money into various Trump-controlled entities. Now, let's stop right there. You're the Attorney General of the United States, and you see this. And you do nothing? You're the Deputy Attorney General of the United States, and you see this, and you do nothing? One political party's under investigation? One candidate's under investigation? I mean, at its depths, this is a grotesque miscarriage of justice. Mueller began investigating the Pinchuk donation relating to this $150,000 after receiving documents in response to a subpoena issued to the Trump organization, the real estate company Trump ran before entering politics. So in other words, he got it from the Trump organization. Wow, look what we uncovered. You didn't uncover anything. You In September 2015, Trump appeared via video link at a conference Pinchuk hosted in Kiev. Trump's personal attorney, Michael Cohen, negotiated details of the event with Douglas Schoen, a former consultant for Bill Clinton, who you've seen on Fox. He's actually pretty good, according to the New York Times, but he's a Democrat. Trump did not initially request payment for the appearance, as the New York Slimes reports, but Cohen contacted Schoen at one point to request a $150,000 honorarium. In a seemingly unrelated matter, the FBI raided Cohen's Manhattan office and residence. The search was reportedly conducted for records related to Cohen's payments to Stormy Davis, a porn star claiming to have had an affair with Trump in 2006. And now we know that they're also looking for payments that may have been made to an ex-Playboy playmate because the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York has nothing better to do. The Victor Pinchuk Foundation issued a statement to the New York Times downplaying the donation to Trump The charity reached out to Trump and other world leaders in order to promote, strengthen, and enduring ties between Ukraine and the West, it said. Contact to Trump was made at a time when it was by no means assured that Mr. Trump would be the Republican nominee in 2016. Now, Pinchuk appears to have had a much closer relationship to the Clintons. Anybody care? No, nobody cares. In June 2012, the billionaire attended a dinner at the Clintons' residence. Did he ever attend a dinner at the Trump residence and any any other residences? No. And through Schoen, Pinchuk lobbied the State Department in 2011 and 2013. Wow. I think the Democrats controlled the State Department then. Hillary in particular. Documents filed with the Department of Justice show Schoen and Pinchuk met on several occasions. In 2012, with 
Melanie Verveer, a close Clinton associate who then served as an ambassador at large for global women's issues. Anybody serving on global men's issues, by the way? Bill Clinton attended Pinchuk's annual Yalta conference. The New York Times reported on February 13, 2014, Pinchuk also attended the former president's 65th birthday party in Los Angeles. The FBI reportedly investigated the Clinton Foundation over its foreign donations. The status of that investigation is unclear. Well, why is it unclear? Aren't they leaking it to the New York Times? No. So let's recap, shall we? We also learned through leaks to the New York Times and other left-wing outlets that, hey, Trump, that in addition to the porn star and that Playboy Playmate and the, the Manhattan uh, uh, U.S. Attorney's Office getting all excited about that and running in the court and getting their warrant and searching the president's personal lawyer's residence and his office and his hotel, grabbing up attorney-client privileged information, that Mueller simultaneously is looking into this Ukrainian oligarch. $150,000 to Trump world for Trump giving a speech. Okay, is that collusion? Well, we got to make some kind of connection. Is that collusion? Did something happen? The New York Times original article, you might recall, also said Trump wanted to build a hotel somewhere in Russia, and, uh, well, it fell through. But he tried! He tried! Well, you knew foreigners do build hotels in Russia. And yet look at all the interactions between Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, and the Ukrainian steel billionaire. Millions and millions and millions of dollars. And with Trump, $150,000 speaking fee. And in the New York Times article, because they put the spin of the prosecutors on there, because that's who they're dealing with, New York Times says... And that seemed way out of sorts for a 20-minute speech. Well, not if he got it, it's not way out of sorts. From a billionaire, what they're trying to suggest is a payoff or some kind of effort there. And you may also recall, or maybe not, that Senator Chuck Grassley some time ago sent a significantly long letter to the Department of Justice wanting an investigation into connections between this Ukrainian billionaire in Clinton world. <coughs> and throughout the letter, you see extensive connections. No special counsel there. None whatsoever. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I, uh, you hear these people talk about a civil war. You hear people in California talk about secession. You hear all these things. And, uh, I don't know where we're headed in this country. But I can tell you that there are people in this country who I have absolutely nothing in common with. I'm not talking about physical features or skin color or religion or anything. I'm talking about what's between the ears. I have absolutely nothing in common with. And they want to destroy the country while they're claiming to rebuild the country. They're destroying our institutions. They're destroying our language. They're destroying our borders. They're attacking our traditions. Did you ever think you would live to see the day when somebody's sex was controversial? That is, 
somebody with an appendage as a boy, somebody without one as a girl, and now that's controversial. And people who, who alter themselves have special civil rights. Do you ever think you'd see that day? Where the Department of Education would issue guidance, under Obama, of course, to schools, guidance, you know, with an iron fist? About how you recognize bathrooms and the people who can use which and showers and the gyms and so forth? Did you ever think you'd see the day where that was controversial? Did you ever think you'd see the day where the federal government decides the school lunch menu in a local elementary school? Did you ever think you'd see the day where securing our national border would be considered controversial? In fact, racist. Racist. I'm telling you, I have absolutely nothing in common with the hardcore progressive left. Nothing. And apparently they have nothing in common with me or you. And I don't know how this is going to end, but I think it's going to be very, very ugly. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Have you ever taken your car in for an oil change? Your mechanic finds something wrong and surprise, you're hit with a huge repair bill? Well, that's happened to me. What happens when you're not covered by the manufacturer's warranty? You're paying out of your own pocket to fix it. That's why I recommend extended vehicle protection from CarShield. If your car has 5,000 to 150,000 miles, CarShield can save you from paying for a high repair bills. Replacing your engine or even a simple sensor can cost thousands. When you're protected by CarShield, you can have your favorite mechanic or dealership fix your car. It's your choice. And CarShield also provides 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed for free. Get covered by the ultimate in extended vehicle protection. Get CarShield. Do you have it, Mark? Yes, we do. We have it on our 2010 Camaro. So... CarShield, call 800-CAR-6100 and mention code LEVIN so you can get 10% off. That's uh, 800-CAR-6100 and mention code LEVIN or you can go on their website, go to carshield.com, carshield.com, use code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, and again, you'll save 10%. So that's carshield.com or 800-CAR-6100, use code LEVIN and save 10%. A deductible may apply. I'm telling you, it is a great warranty. You really ought to check it out. We'll talk about this more in the next hour, but we'll begin now, if we may. Syria. Now, this may raise a broader topic. Callers, you stay there. We'll get to you. We're filled up, but just hang in there. This may raise a broader topic. What is America's role in the world? What is America's role in the world? I remember when the left used to say, well, we can't be the world's policemen. Okay, so what's the role? Well, we can't get involved in every battle. Okay, got it. What's the role? Well, if there's not a direct American interest, okay, what's our role? Well, well, if our allies aren't uh, involved, okay. Then what's our foreign policy? 
What's our foreign policy? What should our foreign policy be? Now, it's even a little bit more complicated, isn't it? Do we wait until we're attacked? Do we have a declaration of war every time we're involved in a battle? Given the nature of military technology today, isn't Congress sitting there debating for two, three, four, five days, maybe a week? Isn't that giving the enemy an advantage, depending on the situation? Unless, of course, it's an all-out war. Do we have to fight only defensive wars? And what is a defensive war? And what about humanity? What about if we see situations around the world that are just intolerable? Do we turn the other cheek? Do we get involved in every one of them? Of course not, we can't. Does that mean we get involved in none of them? And what does it mean to get involved? You see, when people are driven ideologically when it comes to foreign policy, just as they're driven ideologically when it comes to economic policy, like the progressives and so forth, it's stupid. There's certain basic fundamental principles that apply, right? First, what is in America's best interest, right? Second, how do we ensure the strength of our military? And we must. This is why Reagan coined the phrase peace through strength. Third, what about things that happen far away? Geographically far away that don't affect us directly, the continental United States. Well, that can have an effect on us, can it? Of course. So what do we do as conservatives? What do we believe as Americans? Well, we can't export democracy everywhere, simultaneously, too. Nor should we try. It's impractical. There are cultures and regimes that are not receptive to it. And the loss of American lives and the enormous financial costs in chasing these unrealistic ends would threaten the preservation and improvement of our own society. Not to say demoralize the population. So it's an impossibility to do what John McCain wants us to do, or Lindsey Graham and sometimes Marco Rubio. It's just an impossibility, apart from right or wrong. Now, there are occasions when democracy building is prudent. We had the European Recovery Program, better known as the Marshall Plan of 1948, and among its purposes was the promotion and preservation of democracy through the provision of economic aid and so forth and so on. Because after World War I, we didn't do that, and you saw the rise of Hitler and so forth. And we did this after World War I to help defend us against the Soviets. Because the Soviets would have rolled over the rest of Europe. And I can point to other examples as well. You look at Syria. Syria is a humanitarian crisis. Almost half a million people slaughtered and also hundreds of thousands of refugees that have poured into Europe and other parts of the world, including our own country. 
The greatest attack on the mainland, the mainland, the United States, so I'm not counting Pearl Harbor, was, of course, on 9-11. Greatest modern attack was on 9-11. It wasn't by any army, wasn't by any country, it was by terrorists based far, far away. But I want to talk about Syria in particular when we return, because I think they're about to get whacked. And I happen to agree with that. And again, I'm probably in the minority. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, Why do we want to stop North Korea from having nuclear weapons? Why do we want to stop North Korea? Why do we want to stop Iran from having nuclear weapons? They're far away. Well, because they get ICBMs and they put nukes on them, they can hit us and they can hit our allies. We support nonproliferation, right? We've signed nonproliferation agreements and so have these other countries. And yet they break them. Why does that matter to us? Why does it matter if Syria is using uh, poison gas? Why does that matter to us? Was poison gas used during World War One? Yes. World War Two? Yes. And yet the world came together after those wars and outlawed them. So you have these outlaw regimes. Now, Syria is producing poison gas. Is it going to stay within the Syrian borders? We have no way of knowing, do we? We have no way of knowing. What about our allies who are concerned about it? Should we care about our allies? No, Mark, who cares about our allies? Well, we need our allies. Every major war we have fought, we had allies. We didn't fight alone. Every single major war, we needed allies starting with the Revolutionary War. Starting with the Revolutionary War. The French. World War I, World War II. But in the case of Syria, to me there's a number of factors here. Not only do we have to fear the spread of these weapons, and they are weapons of mass destruction, and we know they have them, No dispute there, they've used them. But they're also using them with the support of Russia. And Russia knows how to use these weapons too. And if we turn the other cheek, we turn away, what message will that send to Russia and to Syria and all the other despots and would-be despots around the world? Like the one island that's right off our Florida coast called Cuba. And so this does have an effect, does have an impact on our country. And what about this word? You ready for this word? Morality. 
I don't believe in a foreign policy that has as its purpose to advance the cause of morality in all parts of the world. It's an impossible policy. But what if we see something take place that is so horrific in terms of what's been done? I'm not even talking about the number of people killed, but the way that they're killed. And we have the ability to do something about it without going to a full-fledged war. Should we take a stand for humanity or not? Or is it none of our business? The President of the United States believes it is our business, and he also campaigned on a policy of limited military intervention. But he sees what's going on with North Korea, and he wants to protect us. He sees what's going on with Iran, and I predict, I hope I'm right, that he kills the Iran deal. Because he knows that these countries are very, very dangerous. And they are a threat to the United States if they go too far. And it's too late to stop them once they have their ICBMs aimed at our major cities. And the president also knows right from wrong. Oh, yes, he does. And when you see a regime using gas against its own people, it's easy to say that's their own people. It's not our problem. We can't get involved in every situation. We know we can't get involved in every situation. But here's a situation in which we can get involved. Our military is already there. And the president, I believe, he doesn't want to just turn around and pretend it didn't happen. And again, one of the problems here, the Russians. The Russians are uh, starting to show a pattern of using uh, chemical and other types of uh, poisonous gases and so forth. So you have to make a stand sometimes. As I say, I'm not talking about short of all-out war. We don't need to go to all-out war. I mean, that's not even what anybody's contemplating. Then you get people throwing around this trade. What are you, globalist? I'm not a globalist. Do you know what it means? I've talked about this before. You have people throwing around terms they don't even comprehend. <clears throat> terms they make up the meanings for. A globalist doesn't mean you're against trade and commerce. A globalist doesn't mean you're against national security, even if it means projecting your military might. A globalist is somebody who doesn't believe in borders. A globalist is somebody who doesn't believe in United States sovereignty. I believe in our borders, and I certainly believe in our sovereignty. So people throw around this term, they don't even know what the hell they're talking about. I guess what I'm saying is, the meat of it is this. I believe our foreign policy should be based on American self-preservation. It's not an ideology, it's a principle. And from that principle flows other ideas and other positions and so forth. But I also believe that there are occasions when we as a civil, (coughs) excuse me, as a civil and moral people 
are moved by the horror that's taking place on the planet. And if we can do something, and if we can do it particularly where the costs are rather low in terms of our military, then you do it. And the president has to decide if the circumstances are right. So that's my position on Syria. And I hope they get whacked. And I will support the president because I know he's trying to do the right thing, too. Kevin in Utica, New York, the great WKIP. Go. Oh, good to hear from you, Mark. You keep my sanity every night on my ride home from work. Thank you, sir. As far as the globalists go, when you see your boy Hannity, tell him that, uh, you know, you're getting an awful lot of them Bush globalists tied up on our old Fox News over here. I hate having to go. All right, all right. I'm, I'm not the producer. I'm not in charge. Anyway, talk to me about what you want to talk about. Smaller uh, show. I, I got one for you. Um, after everything that you told us about Mueller tonight, how is it that guys like Lindsey Graham and the rest of these these, these rhinos have the nerve to go on TV and say what an honorable man this guy is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and how all oh, it would do the president great harm to to uh, fire Mueller. Well, I'll um, tell you how. Who's to say Lindsey Graham's an honorable man? He has spent his career fighting for open borders, and he has spent his career fighting for illegal aliens to become citizens. I don't consider that honorable. They're a den of thieves. You understand what I'm saying? How about we let... The President of the United States go out to the Oval Office like Reagan used to go to. How about he call the entire public in front of him one night on the tube? And how about he tell Sessions and Ronstein they can both hit the road? And then he should tell Mueller, you got 30 days to show me what you got. You're blowing too much. All right, the pro- uh, I, I got it. And everybody has an argument they want to make. But if you think it through, it's more difficult than what you're saying. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm sure in many cases it is, but my God in heaven, the, the, you're absolutely now, let me let me, let me stick to one point here, if I may. This guy, Rosenstein, I started to make this point on uh, my, my own shows. I've made this point on Hannity's show, and it is this. He is acting outside of the authority that's been delegated to him as a result of the Jeff Sessions recusal. Remember, the Jeff Sessions recusal deals with the campaign, the Russian intervention in the campaign, and specifically collusion. Those are the basic areas. The Deputy Attorney General of the United States, Kevin, does not have the authority to expand Mueller's investigation beyond those subjects. He does not have the authority. He is not the Attorney General of the United States for any other reason. He wasn't confirmed for that reason. The attorney general was confirmed for that reason. So we actually have a deputy attorney general who is usurping rather the authority of the attorney general of the United States and acting ultra virus. That is, he's acting without authority in the expansion of Mueller's investigations. He just does not have the authority to do that. It is the attorney general who has the authority to do that, not the Deputy Attorney General. And unless the Attorney General has delegated all of his authority to the Deputy Attorney General, which he cannot do, 
then the deputy attorney general is conducting himself outside the law. Do you follow me? Yeah, so we're quickly getting to a constitutional crisis. <clears throat> we're in a constitutional crisis. Amen, my friend. Amen. All right, Kevin. God bless you, man. We surely are. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Let's take a few more calls here. I've taken up most of the space, as they say. Steve, Northvale, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, you mentioned about how this situation with Mulder has been the destructive to the Constitution and the rule of law, and, and, and absolutely correct on that. Uh, I think it's also been destructive to, I can say in my own case, my hope to live in a free country uh, for, for the rest of my years in America. If they can do this to our president, I mean, I, I see this being done to, to, to the you know, common, common citizens all the time. I live in New Jersey. I'm, I'm used to seeing all kinds of infringements on rights and freedoms, and I see this happening to the president. What chance do I have? What chance do any of us have if the leader of our free world is, is having a, a witch hunt to take his own freedom away and his own powers away? What, the, the only solution I can think of is if there's a way that he could speak to, to the American people. I know this was mentioned by a previous caller. But to use this almost to his advantage, to, to, to have a camaraderie with us, because we all know what's going on. We can all see the, the, that this is a witch hunt, at least those of us that are thinking. And he can, he can bond with his voters and he can bond with his base, I think, more so than, than with, with many other situations and, and use this to his advantage in that regard. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Well, I'm not necessarily against it. It would depend how he does it. He'd need to stick to the script, you know, because uh, he can't really shoot from the hip on this stuff. So... Uh, I think if it's done the right way, I think, uh, yes. But you have to keep in mind, there's about half this country that wants him hanging from a telephone full naked by his leg, by his foot, the way Mussolini was killed. We're up against it for sure, then. But, uh, oh, yeah, we're leave. definitely up against it. There's no question about that. And, and, and Mark, thank you for uh, for all that you've uh, personally you've taught me so much about the, about this country and patriotism. And uh, and my wife and I we listen to you every night while we eat our delicious cooking. Thank you, thank you. My best to your wife too. Thank you very much, Mark. All right, Steve. I can assure you. Well, let me ask you this: Why weren't any of Hillary Clinton? I asked you this yesterday, but still, why weren't any of Hillary Clinton's lawyers treated this way? Why weren't they treated this way? They went through her emails. They destroyed some of the emails. They took it upon themselves to decide what emails would survive and which emails wouldn't survive. Why weren't their offices um, searched, their homes searched? I'm quite serious about this. Now, we know why. I'm being rhetorical because there's one set of rules for Trump, and there's another set of rules for the Democrat. They will fight like hell for habeas corpus rights for terrorists. They'll fight like hell for drug dealers being removed from prison and getting the right to vote. They'll fight like hell for illegal alien criminals to find protection in sanctuary cities. But when it comes to the abuse of power against a sitting president, they're fine with that. Because, they're again, I just want to remind you, they're all about party. And party's all about power. 
You're about your country. They're not about the country. They're about power and party. In many respects, you have contempt for your party, but they see the party, quite frankly, the way the Marxists see the Communist Party, which is that's the funnel through which they govern, that's the funnel through which they organize, that's the funnel through which they run the, you know, um, the society. And that's why they never buckle. Never buckle. Look at the fools we have, Lindsey Graham. All over TV. Why? Because he's a circus clown, and circus clowns rate. That's why. Got to watch this guy, Trey Gowdy, bouncing around like a ping-pong ball. Absolutely irrational. Now he's got a new phrase. You see, we conservatives and the conservative movement, we've been monetized. Monetized. That's an argument of the left, but he's good at it. Monetized. So our positions don't matter because Trey Gowdy's just decided our views have been monetized. Stupid. Susan, Long Island, the great WABC. Go ahead. Hi, Mark. I can't begin to tell you how awesome and important you are, but now is not the time. There's no time. And I also want to <laughs> tell you, you that, I, that I bought um, the Patriot food that you advertise, and I hope I never have to use it. I've now, got it right here, right in the bunker. Thank you. Me too. What's happening to Trump is not just anti-Trump. It's anti-American. And I, bl- and I blame many of the, the Republicans for allowing it to happen. We have both houses, for God's sakes. I think that, that we, the people, have to try and do what we can here, and we just can't allow this to happen. We have to draw a line in the sand. We tell our elected officials, stop this coup or we fire you, and we take names. You're either pro-American or we vote you out in November, and we impeach the others. Some, but some well, we can't impeach them, but I sure as hell hope we have enough voters to throw some of them out. Right. All right, my friend. I appreciate your call. How much time do I have, Rich? All right, not enough time. I want you to hear what, when we come back, what some of these people on TV, who are always on TV, what they have to say about what was done to the president. Absolutely perverse. There's this guy, Steve Schmidt. He looks like uh, the, the top actor in a horror flick. And it looks like he came back from the dead. And he was a McCain campaign operative. And he's on MSLSD all the time. And he looks like he should be on MSLSD all the time. Real freak show. And he says, you know, the founding fathers are applauding today. uh, What's happening with Trump and so forth. The founding fathers are applauding. I thought, what's he mean? The founding fathers of the old Soviet Union? What the hell is he talking about? When we come back... We'll dig into it. I'll be right back. Is that a copy of the Constitution you've got? Are you just happy to see Mark Levin? Call him now at 877-381-3811. You know, it's a fact. Attorneys are expensive. And you're likely to pay around $300 an hour. If you're lucky, that's just one reason why smart business owners turn to LegalZoom. Really, listen to this. Over 2 million Americans have used LegalZoom to start their businesses with LLCs and corporation and more. But even after your business is set up, LegalZoom can still help you. 
lease agreements, changing tax laws, contract reviews, and so forth, are all part of running your own business. But they're precisely the kinds of legal hurdles that take time and effort away from growing your business, right? So LegalZoom created their business legal plan. This is brand new. And with it, you get legal advice for your business from vetted independent attorneys and tax professionals available in every state. Plus, you get access to NDAs, lease agreements, and more. Now, the best part is you won't be charged by the hour. Hello? You won't be charged by the hour because LegalZoom, well, they're not a law firm. Instead, you just pay one low upfront price. Check out the business legal plan at LegalZoom.com right now and get special savings when you enter Levin at checkout. That's LegalZoom.com. Enter L-E-V-I-N Levin at checkout. Again, LegalZoom.com, L-E-V-I-N at checkout. LegalZoom where life meets legal. And this is really a great service they're doing now for those of you who already have businesses. Why pay lawyers by the hour? You pay one upfront price under their business legal plan and you can get some help. Okay, look. There's reports out now, CNN is all worked up, I'm looking at Right Scoop, that uh, Trump is considering firing the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. And I suspect the argument is the one I've been making. That he's acting outside the limited focus for which he's the acting Attorney General. And, of course, the attacks will come, the impeachment calls will come, and so forth. Even though it has no effect on Mueller, per se, and his investigation, what he's already investigating, right? So it's not a cover-up, in my view. Uh, But that's how they'll try and, and play this. Should he do it? Should he do it? But we've actually reached a situation in our country, ladies and gentlemen, where we're told the President of the United States can't fire anybody at the Justice Department. Isn't that bizarre? The President of the United States can't fire anybody at the Justice Department, not the Attorney General, not the Deputy Attorney General, not the Special Counsel. Now he's stuck. Because members of Congress, including fools in his own party like Grassley and Lindsey Graham and all that, and be suicide. No, we can't do that. No, 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 blah, 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 on and on and on and on. Politics before justice. That's what you're seeing here. Politics before justice. But I think this is a very bad thing. So, here is Steve Schmidt. He's a nobody, but he's a good foil. On MSLSD today, hat tip. Newsbusters cut seven, and they're talking about, you know, what the prosecutors are doing to Trump. And he talks to this fool, Nicole Wallace, who was also a Republican. Now she's just a miscreant. Go ahead. Well, I thought what we saw today was extremely disturbing, Nicole. We see Donald Trump sitting there with his arms crossed like a dime store Mussolini saying that an attack on the country um, is what is the result of a legally executed search warrant on his private attorney and what he really means there is that anything that endangers him politically or otherwise legally is in fact an attack on the country that hey buddy let me tell you something it is an attack on the country because he is the president and what's being done here is extraordinary 
It really is. Nobody would ever think of doing anything like this against a Democrat like Barack Obama. And Hillary Clinton skated too. You slob. Go ahead. And the country are synonymous. We are light years from normal. We are outside of the galaxy from normal. This, this is, is un- how a fool becomes a contributor on MSLSD. The crazier the SOB, the more FaceTime he gets. And with this guy's face, he ought to be wearing a paper bag. Let's be honest. Go ahead. And what we saw today was an American president say, essentially, Ah, shut up, you idiot. We don't need an interpreter, you slob. We don't need Steve Schmidt interpreting anything for us. With his 14 IQ. Talking to Nicole Wallace. Oh, wow. So two nobodies talking to each other. That's what MSNBC is all about. Next thing you know, they'll give this clown Jeff Flake a show. And I can see it now. 9 p.m. with Flake. Right, Mr. Producer? And then there's Chuck Schumer. He's on the Senate floor, and he's going to tell us what's going on here. I want to go to cut six, Mr. Producer. Go ahead. These are all law enforcement officers simply doing their job. Now, that's not what you said, schmucky, when Comey was going after Hillary, or you thought he was going after Hillary. That's not what you said about Ken Starr and his people. Law enforcement people only doing their jobs. Go ahead. Job enshrined by the Constitution of the United States. What is enshrined by the Constitution of the United States? Is there an FBI in the Constitution of the United States? Is there a United States Attorney's Office in the Constitution of the United States? Is there a special counsel in the Constitution of the United States, you idiot? And he is an idiot, let's admit it. No, there's not. Go ahead. The president also tweeted this morning that, quote, attorney-client privilege is dead. Mr. President, attorney-client privilege is alive and well. But there's an exception when the attorney might be involved in a crime or fraud. Really? Is that right? Well, why wasn't that exception noted when Hillary Clinton's lawyers were going all through her emails, Chucky? Why wasn't that exception used then? You hack. Go ahead. Well known as the crime fraud exception. And that exception is obviously... Now keep in mind, this man has no idea what the warrant's all about, other than leaks they're reading in the New York Times. Self-serving leaks. He has no idea, but he's defending it immediately. Defending it immediately. Because he wants Trump's scalp. It's that simple. Go ahead. Today, law enforcement officers believe there's a good chance... Now shut up, you idiot. Guy campaigns with Al Sharpton, all of a sudden he's for law enforcement. Nobody believes that. Now, here's a phony reporter. Her name is April Ryan. What is she, a reporter for the Urban something or other? Doesn't really matter. Hat tip, Washington free beacon, cut eight. Go. With all of this turmoil, particularly this last week, has the president at any time thought about stepping down before or now? Oh, has the president thought about stepping down? You see, folks, the media are preposterous. The media are leftists. The media are Democrats. This is why you despise them. And you should despise them. 
And then they they beat their chests about the First Amendment and freedom of the press and and the president and his his supporters and his surrogates are attacking the freedom of the press. Does this woman sound like a reporter to you? Has the president thought about stepping down before now? Now she knows the answer to this question. What is Huckabee Sanders going to say? Yes, he's going to resign. Oh my God! Now she knows the answer. So what they're doing is trying to persuade people who are watching or listening that that's what he should do. So they put a question mark on it. Is the president thinking or at any time thought about stepping down before now? What she said, she means to say is the president needs to step down now. And then put a question mark. on I mean, has he thought about it? Another idiot. Go ahead. I think that's an absolutely ridiculous question. I gave you two questions, April. We're moving on. Jordan, go ahead. No, it's not ridiculous. I asked it. It's not ridiculous. Now you've offended me. I'm all triggered and everything else. No, no, no. It's not offended. Uh, It's not offensive. It's not ridiculous. It's a great question. Okay. Now we have Madeline Not-So-Bright, a.k.a. Albright, and she's back. And it's not pretty. She's on with Joy Behar, the failed radio host. Didn't she work at WABC, Mr. Producer? Long before me. She's a little long in the tooth. And uh, on The View, where she's a big mouth, Yenta. Go ahead, cut eight. It's in the air now that he might want to fire uh, Mueller. Um, Two questions, really. Do you think that uh, that will completely um, um, hijack our democracy? Did I tell you how smart Joy Behar is, too? Absolute genius. She's the female Einstein. Looks the part, too, I think. No offense, of course. I mean it with all due respect. Go ahead. Republicans in power will do anything about it because they're the only ones who really can at this point. Well, I really do think one of the things that I do write about is that I think. Oh, she's got a book out. Can't wait not to read it. Go ahead. Most undemocratic president we have had in American history. He, whoa, 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 whoa. He's the most undemocratic president we've ever had. What does that mean? How, do, how does that manifest itself? He's the most undemocratic president we've ever had. Undemocratic in what way? It doesn't even make sense. Go ahead. The clapping seals. Democratic processes. And I do hope that Congress can stand up. All right, dummy. Which Democrat process did he undermine? Which one? You must be confusing him with Barack Milhouse, Benito Obama. Go ahead. The things. Um, the first article of the Constitution is about the powers of Congress. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying it's Article One time. They need to fulfill their responsibilities and make sure that they are an equal branch of government and that we can't have a president who uh, doesn't tell the truth and who also. Uh, now, you're rambling like an idiot. I have no idea what you're talking about. Do you have any idea what she's talking about, Rich? It's uh, Article One time. The Congress and the president and even you. Somebody by the name of Haynes. Who is Haynes on the View? Who watches this crap show? Seriously. Oh, it's the View. Good. Turn it off. I'd rather watch the Jewelry Channel. 
Cut 10, go ahead. Are you actually afraid that America could become a fascist nation? Well, I'm worried about some of the steps that take place. And the reason that the book, I wrote the book, is really historical in terms of what happened in other countries. And the part that I have to say freaked me out is that in looking at Mussolini and Hitler mm -hmm. and now what's happened in Hungary mm -hmm. and Turkey and Poland mm -hmm. and Philippines and Venezuela. Oh, no, notice that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are they? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She can name countries. Wow. Venezuela. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Ever hear of Peru? Yes, I have. Go ahead. Elected or they were put in constitutionally. Mm. Uh, and only in the communist countries have there been revolutions to put the people in. So uh, and what then are you rambling about? What the hell are you talking about? Only in communist countries have there been revolutions to put the people in. First of all, you're not even literate. You wrote a book. Can you read a book? Oh, I'm Mark. What are you attacking her because she's a woman? I'm attacking her because she's an idiot. Go ahead. Had this terrific statement, which was that if you consolidate power by plucking a chicken one feather at a time, mm -hmm. people don't notice. Wow, that's Mussolini. Why don't you quote Milton Friedman, who talked about the frog? If you put a frog in a pot and you turn the heat up on the water, and then eventually it boils. The frog doesn't jump out because the frog doesn't know what's happening. But she prefers to quote Mussolini to Milton Friedman. Gee, I wonder why. Go ahead. And so it is that those right. steps, and it's the normalization, right. Right. frankly, of the kinds of things that are going on now that made me want to do a warning. That made me want to do a warning? That made me want to do a warning? All right, we'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, if you've uh, been paying attention to the news lately, and I know you have, one of the themes that you've probably heard over and over again is the systematic censorship of conservative voices. You've seen the whistleblowers from the biggest names in the Silicon Valley, the elites, admit that conservative points of view are actively being quashed. So what should we do? Should we nationalize Facebook? Should we nationalize Twitter with the dimwit who, who runs that? No. We compete against them. This is why you need to get CRTV. If you're still getting your media from these social media giants or the liberal mainstream media, you're just not getting the whole story. And so we have worked very hard over the last two and a half, three years. We've poured enormous amount of resources into our project just for you so we can get around all these people. We started Levin TV as a way to fight back against the mainstream media and these social sites and to make sure our subscribers had a source that they could actually trust. Now, just over a year, a little over a year after we launched Levin TV, it got so big, we launched a network called CRTV, Conservative Review TV. And we've added more than a dozen new shows. So when you sign up, you can, you can watch all of them or none of them or just me. And we've created new ways to watch using the cutting-edge technology that exists. We don't need the government. 
We're now the biggest conservative media platform that you can find anywhere, CRTV. And we're not done. Now, here's what I want to suggest to those of you who haven't joined yet. We want to get a million people to join. Will you help us? Try us out for, here's how you do it. Try us out for 30 days. I'm doing this on my own. I'm allowed to do it. I'm one of the big wigs there. Try us out for 30 days. Absolutely free. And the other thing I'll do is if you use my promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N, you'll save 10 bucks off an annual pass. The annual pass is 99 bucks. It'll be 89 bucks. Try us for 30 days right at the front end. Absolutely free. I can't do any better than that. Because I want to increase our subscriber base to make us as big and powerful as possible. To take on the Zuckerbergs, to take on the, twi- the uh, Twitters, to take on all of them. Need any government regulation? We can take this technology and use it our way. So here's my challenge to you. Give us a call and check it out. And we're open. We're open right now. Call us at 844-LEVIN-TV, and we'll get you all set up. It'll be simple as can be. That's 844-LEVIN-TV. I do 150 to 200 shows a year on Levin TV. And we've got a dozen other great hosts, all kinds of backgrounds, but all fundamentally conservatives. We don't agree on everything, and we don't have to. But it's the best thing going right now if you're really interested, really interested in weaning yourself off this other stuff. So give us a try. So I want to give you 30 days absolutely free. Use promo code Levin, L-E-V-N, 10 bucks off. 844-LEVIN-TV. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. And as a matter of fact, check out our brand new Levin TV show tonight. And I'll see you tomorrow. God bless you.